Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, November 14th, 2012, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say. Hi. Mr. Bob Ryer. Good morning, afternoon. Well, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, people listen to all the time. And back, triumphant return, Stephanie Cook. Yay, hi. Hi, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we are all back together. Um... We're actually recording a week after we recorded last time, so we are, uh, we're back on schedule. We're back on schedule. We got a lot of books to talk about. Bob finally read the books from last week, <laughs> plus the books from this week, so um, it's going to be a good time. So, uh, Stephanie, how have you been, though? I have been awesome. I was just telling you guys all about my snake capades. Yes. <laughs> That's a good word. It's a yeah. good word. Yes. And uh, just busy. Busy, 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 which is why I haven't been here, so... I'm happy to be back. I missed you guys. We missed you as well. Um, Steve, you saw uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. What did you think of Wreck-It Ralph? I liked it. You liked it. I did. (laughs) I liked it. Um, I can... so hard to... Okay. Mm. Um, I liked it a lot. I didn't love it as much as a lot of other people seem to. I think it's one of those movies that I'm going to... Like, I've been thinking about it since yesterday, and there are things that maybe I didn't take into account that are now, you know, I'm starting to, to appreciate it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't it didn't feel like a Disney film to me, mm-hmm. and I, I, I thought that it would. I, I thought it was a little strange, and I don't think it was because of the video game content. Um, it just didn't have that same, like, gooey, warm feeling that a Disney film usually leaves you with. Mm-hmm. Um I really, I really liked the emotional beats of it. I thought that the the relationship between uh, Ralph and Vanellope was um, well developed over the film and stuff. I just, it's kind of the, it's kind of the opposite problem that I had with Ready Player One, where with Ready Player One it was too much, too many references, too much of like, hey, look at this. Mm-hmm. With Wreck It Ralph, I. I think that it might have been a matter of things becoming a little bit more subtle throughout the film, but I felt like it was about 15 minutes of like a Where's Waldo game of video games and how many things can you recognize, and I was having so much fun, and then in about 15, 20 minutes into the film, that kind of tapers back a little bit, and there aren't so many surprises, Mm -hmm. and I was a little disappointed by that because I, I... kind of was seeing the film for that reason and I felt like it it started off super 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 strong and then it just kind of got comfortable with itself and there wasn't so much of an effort to get characters into the movie Mm -hmm. 
Well, to what? be fair, I'm going to guess that the royalties for that cost them a buttload to begin with. Oh, absolutely. With. But that's kind of my point, where if you pay all of this money to get these properties, that you should use them. You well, know? they probably only had like a limited appearance kind of thing is what I'm saying. And for like a lot of this movie's geared towards children. Like yesterday, I went walked by the theater and there was like 10,000 children going to see Wreck-It Ralph and they're not going to get the references. They're mostly there for the parents, right? Yeah. So they're just trying to do that little stuff for little throwbacks for people of our generation. But I mean, the kids aren't going to get it. So the more they spend on royalties throughout the film to appease these children i mean it's going to be nothing to them they should appease me well i also think that like i agree with you like the first 15 minutes is kind of laden with a lot a lot yeah. of references i i actually like the fact that they drop them away because it, the, you run into the thing like ready player one where if you don't drop the references and make it about the the new story then it's just you know a reference fest and right. not and not a, a, a real story you know the old, my my main problem with it is i I didn't love the fact that they spent so much time in the Sugar Rush game. That's my other game. complaint, yeah. It was my least favorite aesthetic, my least favorite look. It was still a good story, and like I said, I, I agree with you. The Vanellope like, uh, connection was great, and it, I, I just, I wish there was a little more of that Hero's Duty game, and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, oh, how about that short, Paper Man? Oh, oh that was short. amazing. Yeah, that, it's been awesome. Yeah, and I was mentioning off mic before we got on that, it felt to me more like, Toy Story than a Disney yeah. film and yeah. that short also made it feel even more like a Pixar film to I me mean, the fact that we had this like wonderful emotional short yeah. b- b- before the movie started you know um, but yeah that was that was great oh. and as a random sidebar speaking of the short just very quickly Pixar Shorts Volume 2 came out yesterday yes it did oh nice so if you guys are a fan of the shorts they're now collected in the Volume 1 and Volume 2 so if you love them pick them up anyways <laughs> um, I, I really liked Wreck-It Ralph. I thought it was great. I, I really hate Sarah Silverman, like loathe her, but huh. I thought she did a really did great too. job with the voicing of Penelope. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one other thing, this is my last thing I'll say about it. The one other thing that I wanted that wasn't in the film, and I know it's a cliche, I really wanted like a five to seven minute chase montage through a bunch, <laughs> a bunch of games of towards games, the yeah. end. Like if she's glitching from game to game yeah. and the, the whatever's going after her. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it would have been cool like if you can't if you have to do it in clips if mm-hmm. you can't do like it would have been awesome if they were running around and they ran in like one of those loop-de-loop uh, rings from Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog since they they obviously had Sega yeah. behind them and it just it would have been cool for just a short little like paying an homage to those mm-hmm. old games yeah I'm just saying if it's there yeah use it just a little bit more. But I mean, I'm sure upon a second watch, there's going to be all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Like I recognize characters that my friend who's seen it twice didn't see either time. Yeah. So for that reason, I think it's going to be, I'm going to like it much better uh, once it comes out on Blu-ray and I get to see it again. Yeah. I loved the little Metal Gear reference where he's looking for uh, the like, lost and found and he yeah, finds yeah, the yeah. exclamation point. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I thought it was really good. But um, obviously, uh, we're not a movie podcast, so we're going to move on from Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, uh Wait, wait, oh, wait, 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 did you guys play Assassin's Creed 3 yet? No. I did. <sighs> wait, I, who? Did? I, I did, yes. <laughs> I was like, who's, who's shouting at me? Um, yeah, what did you think? Can I, is it okay? Cool. Are yeah. you liking it? How far into it are you? I actually did not play it, but. Oh, well, what? You just said you did. Dude, calm down. <laughs> I was without power for a long time in case you didn't know and my friend Rob uh he got the game and he played it for about an hour or two and I got to watch him play so 
I essentially pl- I played it vicariously. <laughs> oh, so you've seen it being played. I've seen it being played. I saw a good chunk. I saw the transition from like Native American dude to you know manning the ship dude, and I gotta say, like, person. what? It's the same person. I know that, but it's <laughs> oh, okay. There's several years after the training, and then yeah. he gets on the boat. Anyway, messing me up. The boat stuff was super, super impressive. Um, I it, I thought the game looked phenomenal. Um, I'm actually going to be picking it up for the Wii U uh, on release date, I guess, on Sunday. Yuck. What? Wii U. I just, no, I'm not. I mean, whatever. If you guys want to get it or whoever wants to get it, that's fine. <laughs> I just have no personal desire to play it. I don't use my Wii at all as it is. I don't feel like buying another system. Okay, no one's forcing you to. No, I'm just saying. That's just my personal. <laughs> you don't have to yuck people for getting it. Come on, Stephanie. God. You're better than that. God. Well, you're Whatever. you're a huge fan of Assassin's Creed. What do you think of the game? Um, like the first four hours, I fucking hated it. Like, <laughs> you play as this guy named Hatham, and I was like, who is this asshat? I fucking hate him. <laughs> and like, he's the most annoying character ever. And just like the gameplay was so frustrating and. Bobby, did you play Assassin's Creed before? Yeah, I played two. Okay, so in when you're like fighting and you press X, that's like the counter move, mm-hmm. yeah. and they've like swapped it to B now. But I keep pressing X, like <laughs> because it's been instilled in me in the last zillion games mm-hmm. that X is counter, and so now I can't like retrain myself to start pressing B. Ugh, but <laughs> it's such a great reason to hate the game. Yeah, I know. No, that's like just that's part of it, but like I really hated this character, Hatham. And had I been, you know, a less patient person, because everyone knows me for my patience, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I probably would have given it up um, because it's the worst. But it does get way better when you eventually start playing as the actual assassin, Connor, and you leap in trees and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Was he Tarzan? Killing bears and shit. You do kill bears and shit. Yep. <laughs> There's grizzly bears. They're all like, rawr, rawr, rawr. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> so where do we go from here, Bobby? I don't have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea where we go from here. He said you wanted to know if anyone had played it. I probably could have asked that after the podcast. No. It's, it's <laughs> comedy Perfectly gold. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. <laughs> all right. So transitioning from video games to comic books, um, Bob. Uh, what do you got for us? Playing, your- playing catch-up. Yeah. Um, some of the things that Ray been spoken about. The Batgirl Annual I found to be very entertaining. Mm. And to see Catwoman actually portrayed properly for yeah. a change. Mm-hmm. And heroically. And there's good give and take to it. And the art's really nice. And mm-hmm. Can we get Gail Simone on Catwoman anytime <laughs> soon? But probably not. That's probably uh, up to Gail Simone. I don't think that's up to anybody else. I don't think DC would say yeah. no. If she yeah. was like, hey, I want to write Catwoman. What were you saying, Stephanie? said, Dear Gail Simone, please write everything. <laughs> that wouldn't be bad. Uh, loved Wolverine the X-Men, which yeah. was pretty funny, uh, getting a, uh, a new teacher into the school. But there's also the underlying, there's a deep, dark thing going. It is one of the problems I do find with this book, though, month to month. Yeah. It's hysterically funny and, you know, dupe, and then just yeah. deadly serious. And it's sort of, oh, this is a nice balance, though. Mm-hmm. This yeah. particular issue yeah. of the two storylines crossing. If it stayed that way, I, I would mm. definitely add this to my little pull list. Yeah. Uh, World's Finest was really good. We've got Damien. I was I was lukewarm on World's yeah, Finest. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't really too enamored with it either. Only because it felt to me like 
what happened in the issue could have been like four pages and mm-hmm. could, we could have had both parts of the story right away you know there's nothing that really happens between Huntress and Damien when they're fighting that makes me go oh now they would be allies you know their fight is they, and the way they kind of go into the fact that they that he kind of realizes that she is Bruce's daughter even if, if she's if she's not Bruce's daughter from this dimension or whatever just felt a little bit um, felt a little bit forced to me you know, it didn't feel natural to me, which is weird for this book because it's been so mm-hmm. natural and good. To yeah, me. he sort of picks up from fighting style and something in her eyes, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And which I'm not like crazy about that sort of thing, but I will say that I look forward to what comes next and seeing yes. them together. But it's just this thing did not um, did not really gotcha. excite me. Uh, Steed misses peel number two, which was a heck of a lot of fun. Mark Wade mm-hmm. on all these amazing things that he's doing for yeah. every different company it seems like <laughs> but hits the nail on the head he did rocketeer beautifully which was also in the pile and this he's he's taking a nice little i want this episode i want mm-hmm. to really see someone film this right and i actually showed steve the other night when he was over for power outage day yep the <laughs> the episode in question where we get a lovely shot of mrs peel at the end all sort of decked out in great episode by the way i really enjoyed it <laughs> unfortunately they're all out of print and they're very expensive now but you never know there's always blu-ray <laughs> There's always a DVD burner as well. Oh, yeah, you can you can borrow hey, the whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> but my actual book of the week is X Factor 246. Okay. Um, it's Peter David and uh, we have another new artist over here. It's Paul Davidson this time. And it's a story about Pip the Troll. It's, it's kind of reminiscent of the Wolverine story, uh, Wolverine the X-Men a couple of months back, the whole, the whole dupe thing, where you get Pip the Troll's storyline here as, as he's there secretary gatekeeper and it's sort of a day at the office yeah very film noir kind of storyline uh the usual peter david mixture of humor and mystery and so on and a neat little surprise ending if people haven't been getting x factor uh, i'll just keep saying that you should be buying this book <laughs> i agree i'm a little bit behind on that series actually right now i think about two issues so i'm gonna have to pick that up and read it i love it i love that series and i'm glad to hear that 246 is also awesome. Yep. Well, you've had those breaking point issues leading up through that. How far back have you gotten, Steph? You got into the whole Polaris Lorna Dane origin yes. thingy? Okay. Yeah. I, I think I I think I read 244, and I don't think I've read 245 or 246, but 245 isn't on my iPad, which seems to be an indication that I may have read it, unless I just didn't get it, but whoopsies. <laughs> yeah, that was that's sort of a lead-in to Uncanny Avengers. Oh, right. yeah. It's, it's the oh, Havoc, right. the Havoc storyline. Mm-hmm. I haven't read 245. So. Okay, so I won't say anything then. Shh, we'll talk about it when you're back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it for me, guys. All right. Um, Steve, you popped up a little detective comics there. Yeah, um, I got a bunch of uh, a bunch of comics this week that I just want to do a quick, uh, few quick rundowns. Um, I have not been reading uh, Birds of Prey in the DC 52 since it came out, but um, Detective Comics uh, number 14 is the first time that I've seen Poison Ivy um, behaving like Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, John Layman just took over, I guess, Detective from last issue. Yeah, last he started. Issue. Yeah, um, I like it. I like it a lot, actually. Um, I just it was one of those issues that I, I read it. I was really satisfied with it. I put it down, and she's one of my favorite characters from the animated series mm-hmm. and just from the Batman world to begin with. And I liked the way that she was portrayed as. Like she's very sultry still, yeah. But she's got almost like a, a class to her. She hasn't fallen prey, it seems, to the the 
sluttiness of DC, <laughs> if, if you will. Right. Um, and I never, I never realized that. I thought her outfit was just an outfit, but she actually has like organic matter that comes off of the outfit. Like she has only as much of the leaves on her at a time that she can use kind of like almost like carnage tendrils yeah, yeah. a little bit. So um, I got to see that in action. I thought that was really cool. And the backup was decent too. I loved the backup. Yeah. 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 It was interesting because at the end of detective, something happens, a character shows up looking for poison Ivy and it's a little bit confusing. Cause you're like, well, I don't understand why he's saying this certain thing. And the backup proceeds to explain what that character's motivation oh. was. Um, really, really good. Uh, I will say this. I got like, we, <laughs> uh, Robert Gall tweeted us and emailed me to let me know that I, it's not the Chew team, it's just the Chew writer who's, who's oh, okay. a detective. It's not the artist. Jason Fabook does not do the artist, the art for, for Chew. So I just wanted to let him know that I got that and thank you for correcting me. Um, um, go ahead, Stephanie. So, okay, I haven't been reading detective comics at all. Um, is... 13 is the start of Layman's Run, yeah? Yes. yes. Is it a fresh point like to jump on? Would I be able to pick it up yeah. without having read everything else? Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. has no bearing on... As long as you know who the Penguin is, you're fine. Who? <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Because I think I would like to check that out. I'm a really big fan of Chew and uh, Layman's writing. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good. And I, I, I will say that in this issue especially, he really brings the detective part of detective comics into play there's a lot of batman in the cave you know looking at oh. schematics and maps and you know figuring out Using what's going different on technologies yeah, and stuff exactly yeah. it, so that was really cool um it is actually a pretty good week for poison ivy because she's also in uh swamp thing yes and she is. great in that and that book is great the, this issue of swamp thing combined with the annual that came out last week i love the annual yeah i read it last night it was awesome yeah it's it's really expanded his character it's gone back and shown you the first meeting between uh, Abigail Arcane and Alec Holland. Really, really good. It's before Alec was Swamp Thing, before he ever went through his uh-huh. whole change. It explains why they have a connection that he doesn't remember. It's it, it's really, really great. And it went on to this issue as well, um, you know, as far as like the journey. And it's it's been great. This Rot World thing is very interesting because it's, I feel like it's been going on for a while now. Yeah. And it... But it's a very patient, much like his run on Swamp Thing has been very patient. It's not jumping to things happening, you know. Um, there's a great moment in this issue where, you know, Dead Dead Man is still... This Rot World is like, you know, it's we skipped years, a couple years in the future. Rot has taken over the world. There's only a certain amount of people left. Um, people connections to the green and to the red are left. So Poison Ivy is left because she's a big connection to the green, obviously. And Dead Man's left because he's already dead. So there's no way the Rot can, you know, <laughs> do anything to him. And he's helping Swamp Thing on his way to try to beat the rot. And he goes, you know, someone was, they were were working on a weapon right before this all happened to try to stop the rot, you know, full stop right away on meeting. And Swamp Thing's like, well, where? He goes, where do you think? Gotham City. (laughs) It's obviously Batman was working on it. I just like that, you know, that kind of context and feeling. It's been, it's been great. Um, Um, Sorry, go ahead, Stephanie. The annuals. Okay. I picked up the Wonder Woman annual way back when Bob was raving on about it, but I actually didn't get around to really checking mm. it out. Are the annuals one-offs, or how do they fit into everything? You say that uh, the Swamp Thing one kind of explained a lot of stuff that happened beforehand. Mm-hmm. Is it like the zero issues kind of thing, or...? It really depends on the annual, you know? Um, like, the Animal Man annual was very much an origin of Buddy Baker, 
and that's kind of what it explained in a lot of ways. You know, it, oh sorry, the annual no, the annual was the past avatar of the red. Um, and a past avatar of the green and had nothing to do really with the main story. It was kind of an offshoot story that you could read one off. But the Swamp Thing annual is very much part of the Rot World oh, yeah. uh, thing. Um, like the Justice League Dark annual is straight up the next. It's, it might as well have been issue 14 or whatever of Justice League Dark because it, it, it finishes off a story there. So it really depends on the annual. The Wonder Woman annual is sort of a one-off. It, it, it's... It's giving you background on her and kind of alluding to what's going to come next, but you don't have to have read everything around it because it's a prequel story. Uh, it really depends on the annual. I think it's up to the writer really what they're mm-hmm. what they're going to do with it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I was just curious because, I mean, I haven't really picked up a lot of the annuals, obviously, um, and I, I want to read them, but I don't know really where they ever fit into the continuity of things or if they're just kind of like mini anthologies celebrating that hero. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I think it really, really depends on on the writer. I mean, Bob, what is? I mean, they've been doing annuals for a long time. What are, what have the kind of annuals been for? It all depended. Just you're saying with the writers, some were ju- reprints. You get four or five old reprints and a new story that used those reprints in a in a different way. The the story elements. Others were just. They used to have something called dollar comics, where they're just anthologies, right? Where you'd have four different characters. Sometimes related, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, since they already did the zero issues, you would have thought these annuals would have been that sort of completely new extended storyline or something that couldn't be told within 22 pages of story. Yeah. But those seem very individual. Yeah. I mean, the Swamp Thing thing is definitely a longer form individual story. It's just if you haven't been reading Swamp Thing... It doesn't really make sense to read it because it, it's giving you emotional context. Mm-hmm. That's really what he used it for. <coughs> used it for because he doesn't push the plot of Rot World forward, but it's a very much an emotional context of why does Alec have this drive to be near Abigail? Why does he need to save her? Why does he have this sense that she's alive even though everyone's telling him that she's dead? You know. Um, but like I said, Justice League Dark is basically issue 14. It's just the it's the ending of the Books of Magic storyline. So you ha- if you haven't been reading it, it takes advantage of all of those, you know, all of that it's, you know, real estate as far mm-hmm. as pages go, but it, it just tells you the end of the story. So mm-hmm. it really depends on the... Uh, on that seems like such a waste, though, I guess. But, I mean, yeah. I guess, like you said, it just depends on the creative team with the books. So. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the with the zero issues, like you were saying... The Justice League Dark Zero issue was really fantastic. It's it's a Constantine Zatanna origin story, you know, and how they got how they got together, how they met, you know, what led to this pursuit of the books of magic that's happening right now. So it didn't really make sense to go back again in the annual. Sure, you know, and the annual pays off a lot of stuff that happens in the Zero issue. So you know, I think it really again it all depends. Um, but yeah, that's a really good question, Stephanie. Uh, uh, so Steve. I think yes. we both really want to talk about Deadpool. Yeah, let's talk about Deadpool. Number one. Um, so two big Marvel Now books came out this week. We had Iron Man and Deadpool. I, I want to talk about Deadpool. Iron Man was just okay. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it. Art, I hated the art. Story was boilerplate Iron Man stuff. Um, probably pretty good for new readers, for people who, people who know Iron Man. Even if you haven't been reading Iron Man books, it's a little bit redundant, you know? Um but we'll see what happens. We both believe in Kieran Gillen. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, it could be a nice setup to a storyline that you, you'll you look back on it and say, oh, that was a really good first issue. Absolutely. absolutely. I wonder, though, how long Land's going to be on the book. 
I think if the uh, reaction is as bad as it was this first issue, it, he'll be off of it relatively soon. I still say I'll make the trade. <laughs> you, you guys can have John Romita Jr. and I'll take Greg well, Landover on Captain America. I saw some pretty disturbing uh, stuff with him on the internet about um, how he possibly or does trace. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors about that. Oh, Rob talked about that a little bit too. That's been for years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because he goes for such, for such realistic looks, people are pretty sure he traces. And they, there's like side, side by side pictures of like, yeah, yeah. That's I I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about that is that I don't I don't know how willing Marvel would be to put him on a really big book. I'm sure they did their research. You know, they don't want to be embarrassed right. by anything like that. But you know, it's but it's the evidence looks like it's pretty really you know it's and questionable. Yeah, swipes have been part of this industry since the very beginning. Right. Uh, the old Hawkman books were filled with Flash Gordon swipes. Mm-hmm. It's one thing like to to draw, like look at a panel and be like, I'm going to try to recreate this and draw it, but it's another thing to just put a piece of paper over it and trace oh, it. That's what they did back then, too. Oh, okay. They, they get they, paid. They, they clipped it out and put it in the files. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's Iron Man. Let's talk about Deadpool. Yeah. Brian Posehn. Um, God, what's the other author's name? Uh, Dugan? Dugan, yeah, yeah. Jerry Dugan. And uh, Dugan. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's Deadpool. Uh not really an origin story uh, per se, but definitely a great jumping on point. I mean, yeah, they I, explain who Deadpool is basically in like three panels. Yeah. Um, For those of us who don't know, which is me. Yeah. So Tony Moore, sorry, is the artist. He, he did the first arc on Walking Dead, the first six issues. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know. Well, he was like the co-creator. Yeah, he the was the co-creator. Yeah. Oh, cool. With Kirkman. And then there's been. The- he was the one that Kirkman bought out the rights from Tony to do the Walking Dead TV series, and then they got in a big tiff over the rights, and yeah. there's a big lawsuit. Yeah, there's a big lawsuit about it. So he's been embroiled in that. He's done a little bit of work for Marvel. He was doing that um, that kind of Venom event, uh, the Circle of Four thing that, oh, okay. a couple of months back. He did a couple of books on that. Um, this book is really interesting, because now we have Deadpool, uh, uh, a... Uh, a necromancer has raised dead presidents, <laughs> and Shield does not want it, it uh, Avengers or Shield agents to be seen killing yep. presidents, even if they're dead ones right. already. We can't have Captain America decapitate Harry Truman. Yeah, which he does <laughs> picture on a, on a, a thing. So, and it just so happens that you know this one agent is tasked with finding a way around it. Uh, Deadpool ends up in the wrong place, kind of at the right time in, in a lot of ways, because um, there's a dinosaur attacking New York, and he's he, and he ends up killing it. Uh, and then we lead into his he fights FDR in this in this issue. Um, it was really badass. It really badass FDR, <laughs> a zombie FDR. So uh, what? What? This is Deadpool. Yes, yeah, yeah. Deadpool. Yeah. Jesus. It's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> reading all the wrong comics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- so, Steve, have yes. you ever read a Deadpool comic before? And what did you think of this one? My only exposure to Deadpool has been the Wolverine Origins film. Okay. <laughs> um, and then his he had a two-issue guest spot in Avenging Spider-Man uh, these past uh, few issues. Mm-hmm. And I liked the second issue of, of that little uh, spot much better than the first. I guess I was just getting used to him. But um, I always said people have been trying to get me to read Deadpool for a while, probably about a year. And I never gave in, and I said I'm going to wait until Marvel Now comes out and puts mm-hmm. out this this book. And I'm glad I waited because it's my favorite book of the week. Mm-hmm. It was hysterical, yeah, absolutely hysterical. I loved the art, I loved the concept, and it was it was quippy enough, but mm-hmm. not to the point where I felt like it it bogged down the book with just joke after joke. Like I want yeah. action in there too, and I want a little bit of a. 
I like how he, I like the way people treat him. Mm-hmm. I just I just think it's hysterical, and uh, his face is absolutely just yeah. disgusting. He's like Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is very much like Freddy Krueger. So, Bob, you're not a fan of Deadpool at all. No, I've grown tired of the all the guest appearances and all the covers and everything I've sampled left me very cold. Right. Uh, Brian Posehn, I know from being one of the writers on Sarah Silverman's mm-hmm. program, and this book I will now be buying. This is hysterically <laughs> wow. funny. Mm-hmm. It is arch and knowing and winking at superhero conventions and movie crap, mm-hmm. and the art style fits it perfectly. It's, yeah. just, it's realistic enough that mm-hmm. you know who you're looking at or supposed to be looking at. Yeah. But with just that, it's like, we're having fun here, guys. Yeah. And oh, I just love this. Oh, that's great. And, and yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it it blew me away. It was it was really, really funny. And, you know, Deadpool, there's a lot of, like you said, there's it's quips. There's a lot of quips and there's uh, there's puns. And some of them are bad. Some of them are good. I think the ones that are bad are intentionally bad, you know. Um, some of the lines, I laughed the most, I think, I, I've had at a comic book this year. Um, one of FDR's lines, uh, he speaks a pun on his New Deal, on the New yeah. Deal thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it just it killed me. It's patently ridiculous, um, but I like it because the people in it are know that it's patently ridiculous. Yeah. There's stuff that's ridiculous happening, and they know it. You know, so I like that archness to it. Uh, I I like this Deadpool. You know, he he's not sinister. You know, he he's he's a you know he's a mercenary, and he'll he'll do what he wants for his money and. Much like in this, in that um, Avenging Spider-Man thing, he's willing to kill somebody, you know, for money. But there, there's an extent to where he'll go. And like I said in that one too, he's like Bugs Bunny, you know. Yes. In a lot of ways, and I, I really like that. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really excited by what's coming. I love the end where it's like the, you know, all the presidents in that one room. Yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to what happens. There's a cover coming up where he's boxing he's zombie Abraham, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. In the face. Perfect. So. Uh, I'm just, I'm really, really excited about it. I have never read a Deadpool comic either. You know, I've seen him in stuff in, in like Avenging Spider-Man and pops up in their places, but um, I think this is a perfect marriage of creative talent and, mm. and character. Um, I think they found a way to remove the violent aspect of it. It's now so cartoon. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's Acme products exploding on the Roadrunner or whatever. Yeah. So who cares? Yeah. There is no real consequence mm-hmm. because it's just, it's a joke and it's for fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Um, uh, Stephanie, I know you haven't read it, but w- w- what's your opinion? Do you want to read it now? We've heard what we said. Yeah, I do actually. Um, I, I Deadpool's a character I've been wanting to get into, but I think I've mentioned it before that for me, Marvel can be really intimidating with how many things they have on a character or like the guest spots or all this stuff. And I've never just found the time or the book that I wanted to pick up for the character. So from what you guys have said about it, it sounds like something I would definitely enjoy. Dinosaurs. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sold. You had me a dinosaur. And, but, um, sorry. I mean, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. I think it's something that I could definitely enjoy. I don't know how on board I am with the rest of the Marvel Now stuff, but Deadpool definitely sounds like it has potential. Yeah, it, it was pretty great. And I, for the first time in a long time, it's really the first issue of AVX when they started the AR stuff. Ugh. I used the AR stuff. Really, really cool. There, one of them is a like a like thirty second Deadpool origin thing where it's like this puppet that just tells you <laughs> Deadpool's whole origin. Um, and there's another one that shows you. It's like this really quick one where this guy's motor mouthing through. I think it was uh, Dugan actually, uh, who all the characters are in the the big spread at the end with all the presidents oh, in the room, um, and what they're famous for doing or whatever. So 
it, that was really good. There's a lot of good, a lot of those good moments. So it's it's actually a very deep issue as well as far as that stuff goes. So really excited about that. Not so crazy about um, Iron Man, which was the other big Marvel now. That's book. a shame. Yeah, I've been hearing really bad things about it. Yeah, and again, I believe in Gillen. You know, absolutely. Like, I've been saying this for weeks on the show. You know, AVX consequences wrapped up this week and uh, last week, and I, I think it went very, very well. It got me excited for the future of the X books and yeah. what they're going to be doing. Um, it also even got me excited to even check out uh, Cable and X Force, which I was never going to even take a look at. You know, um, you know this. You know, this obviously this ended and they announced Uncanny X Men coming back, mm-hmm. and it's going to be Cyclops, Magneto, uh, Magic. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, those are the three major ones. Oh, and the. Uh, oh, sorry, no, but the Forge is that the yeah uh, she, that yeah. the actor is, that character is not going to be in it, but was the instrumental in the end of AVX consequences. Um, and it's going to be about these people, you know, on the run trying to do, you know, trying to redeem themselves, but they're still kind of like the extinction team, like, you know, saving a world that fears and hates us kind of situation. So we'll see what happens with that. But, um, I really like the end of that book. So it, it, it might've seen like a cash in or like some sort of weird add on, but it really takes all of the bombacity of the AVX event and makes it about, just a bunch of conversations, you know, and uh, getting into those conversations, into those characters, really focusing down on Cyclops and what he's been doing. And there's, there's good cap stuff in there, good Magneto stuff in there. Um, but the Cyclops stuff especially is, is really, um, was really, really good. So uh, I highly recommend that to anybody who is interested in going forward with the, um, the X-Men side of the universe. I don't know about Wolverine, and the X-Men, but uncanny X-Men and, uh, all new X-Men, you probably want to at least take a look at it. Yeah. So, uh, and it's definitely worth it. Um, so Stephanie, what about you? Um, I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've been kind of busy for the last few weeks and I haven't been able to really keep up with a lot of like new comics. So I've been trying to go back and check out some of the series that, you know, I've been missing out on. And I think you guys have mentioned it before, but the one series that's kind of topped my, list for this week is invincible okay. um i have you have any of you guys read invincible before nope no no uh, okay so it's um one of kirkman's books mm-hmm. and uh basically it's the story of this kid and he has superpowers his dad is like one of the top superheroes in the world and um you know once he kind of i think he's like 17 and he starts to get superpowers and he just like dives right into, you know, fighting crime and just kind of um, getting involved with vigilantism. Um, he joins uh, this teen team and um, I-, I don't know. I-, I make it sound very cliche in a lot of ways, but the whole story is just done in this original uh, way that makes it so enjoyable to read. Um, the dialogue is so witty, um, and the banter, the story's good. The art is fantastic. I love the art. And, um, I started reading it at like 1130 last night and stayed up till 2am reading like 20 issues of it. Oh wow! And it's so great. Um, I'm trying to think of what else to add on to it to kind of be like, Guys, read this. Guys, if you aren't reading it, read it. Well, we're but, running up to issue 100 at this point, right? Or they're, they're, yeah. they're almost there. Ooh. It's, it's crazy. been at it for a really long time. And I mean, I came off actually, I, I was catching up with The Walking Dead last night, which is again, one of Kirkman's books. And 
uh, like the walking dead for me at this point is starting to feel really stale. Um, it feels like a series that needs to come to an end sometime soon because I feel like it's like, how many more characters can we kill off? How many, how much like bad shit can we inflict on these people Mm -hmm. before enough is enough? And readers are just like, you know, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It, it's just getting old. There's no end in sight. Nothing's really happening to these people. Well, I mean, there's things happening to the people, but you know, (laughs) There's nothing to look forward to in the series for me, whereas Invincible has so many places that it could go, in my opinion. Um, I really, really, really am enjoying it, and uh, yeah, I think everyone should be checking it out. Now, the way that it handles superhero stuff, is it is it kind of, does it feel like standard superhero fare, or is there like a bent to it that makes it different? Um, it's sort of standard, but in a lot of ways, like, okay, so they don't really have masks and stuff on. And there's like this character named Adam Eve, um, who's like, you know, one of his like lady sidekick friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they transform from their regular school clothes into um, their costumes. And they go to like, I, I don't want to like spoil too much, but I'll say one of their teachers turns out to be a bad guy and they show up at his house and he's like, Samantha. Mark, come inside. And they're like, how did you know? He's like, are you kidding me? You don't even have masks on. <laughs> Detention. It, it's fun because they kind of make fun of that stupidity in comics. Like, Lois Lane can't figure out who Superman is. Mm-hmm. Really? Really, Lois Lane? Um, You're a so reporter, kind of, for Christ's sake. What? You're a reporter, for Christ's sake. <laughs> You're not a very good one. Um, but anyways, yeah, they kind of make a, take a lot of digs at that. And not in a, it's just in a very fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the superheroes, they have like the Guardians. Is it the Guardians of the Galaxy? I feel like that's Guardians not the, the right name for it because I feel like that's yeah, Guardians of the Globe. Yes, thank you. Yeah, wait, it's something like that. Yes, it but, is that because yeah. they have a, their own series. Okay, um, I have not read that obviously. <laughs> um, and like they're very much like Superman, Wonder Woman, like Green Lantern, the Flash. Like they all kind of just are those exact characters that are the Justice League, but spoofed. So, I don't know. I haven't heard that word in a long time. Spoofed? Yeah, it's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, like Green Lantern, instead of having a ring, he has to, like, swallow something and to, like, transform back into his normal self. He has to, like, vomit it up. (laughs) (laughs) There's just all these, like, weird, quirky things that kind of take it away from your conventional superhero stuff sounds mm-hmm. dirty <laughs> it's really great like <laughs> I'm, I'm basically just telling you plot points and things that happen now but um it's awesome long story short so invincible uh obviously it's available in trades yes. big time so check that out um steve you uh they've been doing this legends of the dark knight thing digitally yes and you talked about last time they collected them how much you liked it and now there's another like volume out yeah. Uh, what, what, how was this one? Well, this was this was an entire issue. This was not a um, little stories okay. here and there kind of thing. This is uh, by B. Clay Moore and Ben Templesmith did all the artwork, mm-hmm. which was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. 
Um, but the reason I wanted to bring this to everybody's attention is that if you're um, reading the Death in the Family arc, that you might want to pick this up because it doesn't tie directly into it in any way. But the theme of the book is a lot of what you were talking about, about how the Joker feels as if the Batman has gotten soft mm-hmm. and that his his own constituents are kind of holding him back. Um, that is like the core theme for this issue. And um, if you're at all interested in the background of that or maybe a reason as to why he thinks that way, you should check this out because not only is it well-written and the art's fantastic, but it, it ties into that. Awesome. So that's a, a recommendation if, you're, if you've been following uh, the Batman stories going on. Very cool. Um, and I just want to mention quickly, uh, I know you tweeted about Daredevil End of Days. <sighs> yeah. Uh, great again. So awesome. Yeah. It feels very much like... I don't know, it might because of the art, because it's a, it's a Frank Miller artist, but it feels to me like a Frank Miller story in a lot of ways. You know, it has yeah. that that grime to it that all almost all his work has, and um, really enjoying you know Ben going through this, and much like the Dark Knight Returns, there are all these characters that you know you know very well from the main continuity who are now much older, and you're running into, and that have, haven't been seen in a very long time, and those interactions just have a lot of uh, pop to them. And the character who comes in at the end of issue two, yeah. it's really exciting to see what uh, what's going to happen with that. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, Steve, before we Yeah, I'm just really, really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't been reading Harvest from uh, Image Comics, it's about the next issue will end it. It's a five-issue arc. Harvest has been really, really cool. Cool. Um, it's the first issue I was kind of shaky on, and then two ramped it up a little bit. Um, it just keeps getting better. I almost wish that it wasn't ending, but it clearly is definitely going to be uh, wrapping it up in the next issue. But if you like gritty, grimy, dirty medical stuff, <laughs> um, it might be your book. It's awesome. Uh, fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow Wonderland Part 1 was excellent. Okay. I did not know what to expect from this. I haven't watched the show since it ended, so it's been a very long time, but... It was amazing how quickly I fell back into the character, fell back into the whole Buffy verse, mm-hmm. and very reader friendly. If you've seen the show at all, if you miss it, this is a really good way to get back. And I haven't read season eight or oh, good. nine. I was going to ask you that. See if, yeah, yeah, no, um, I haven't read any of that stuff, mm-hmm. and I was fine because that's the reason I didn't pick it up was because I was worried that if I haven't read the comics, I wouldn't be able to get it. Yeah, no, it was excellent. It was. Oh, cool. I was really surprised by it. Um, it almost reminded me a little bit of like a like a Hellboy kind of story interesting uh lots of magic lots of like you know creatures and demons mm-hmm. and stuff and it was really well written and really funny cool uh they nailed the character awesome. perfectly she was one of my favorites on the show yeah. um i've been talking about it for a long time uh, zenoscope came out with the first issue of fly the fall um i don't know how i feel about it yet but all i'm going to say is for people that have been paying attention is pick up the trade the trade is of the first uh, volume is excellent and you're going to need it the one thing i will say about this book it was not very friendly uh to people that haven't don't know the backstory Mm -hmm. uh characters that were not explained um themes that even i reading the other the other story had no idea or remembered what the hell was going on um really good but just you're gonna need that background so if you've been listening and we're curious about that that's the deal with that gotcha um i think that might be it ghosts was cool vending spider-man was decent uh captain marvel i was a little iffy on uh the wrap-up to to the first arc uh and a plus x was okay but i don't think i'm going to be adding it to my pull list all right cool Um, oh sorry go ahead stephanie i just wanted to say one quick 
thing about um, a book I spoke about a long time ago now, um, the web series The Abominable Charles Christopher mm-hmm. by Carl Kershaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Anyways, um, the first volume was out ages ago, and they're actually releasing the second volume in a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, hardcover. And it's available for pre-order now, and I believe it's shipping out later this month. It's beautiful. And um, right now, you can actually, if you pre-order it, you can get um, like a sketch edition where he'll do original sketches in the front of your book. Ooh. So um, if anyone decided to check that out, it's abominable.cc is the website for the webcomic and the store and everything there. But um, if you did check it out and if you did happen to like it a lot, um, just a heads up on that because it's seriously so wonderful and I think everyone should be reading it. And if you are one of those people that are reading it, you should be buying this. So just a heads up on that. Very cool. All right. So that is it for our books of the week. Uh, when we come back after the break, uh, we're going to talk about if we were made C- C- not CEO, editor-in-chief of Marvel tomorrow, what we would do to make it our perfect Marvel. We are back. So, um, you know, a lot of time in the show we talk about what the big companies do wrong, you know, what we'd like them to do in kind of a abstract manner. But I thought we could be kind of fun as kind of like an experiment to if we were made Marvel editor in chief today, what would we do to uh, to make it more like our ideal Marvel now? You know, I want all of us, you know, as we each come up with ideas, if the other person's like, well, that's not practical because of this or that or this, bring it up, you know? When one person is talking, we're the money people, all right? And we're going to be like, well, what about this, that, What's and this? that show where they try to get investors to put their money oh, into Dragon's it? Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den? Yeah. All right, so yeah, it's like Dragon's Den. There you go. <laughs> Someone's going to get fire-breathed on him today. I can see it coming. Um, now, I'm sure that Bob is going to have the most to say. Only, Why would you say that? Bob has pages and pages and pages of notes that he has right now uh, to, to talk about here. So let's start out with that. Bob, I'm making okay. you editor-in-chief of Marvel right now. Tell me what you're going to do. Okay. First, we're going to start on the artistic side. We'll leave the business okay. out of it for right. now. I hire an old pro comic book writer as my editor. Someone who really loves comic books and heroes and isn't using this as a stepping stone into movies or back into movies. Okay. So that the, the, it's the stories that are going to drive everything. That it's about content. We have uh, not someone trying to explain and correct continuity over and over and over again. So that it becomes so dense that you need a PhD to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Continuity is great. But it needs to be in balance with those other things. Uh, for instance, yeah, I, I still we, we've talked about this. DC missed the opportunity in some ways to have that clean break. If they're going to say you do that, just sort of do that. Uh, you want these characters to drive the storylines, not the other way around. Uh, first of all, and no crazy fanboy sort of fiction. Let's let's get at the core of these characters and tell stories from there. Uh, I would have the Scarlet Witch say no more events. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it, it drives sales upwards for the P- 
periods when the events are going on, but then they have the same drop-off as everything else does. Or make them so, at least pocketbook-friendly enough that you don't end up in the situation that you have now where you're trapped into buying a lot of books and they're, in, they're just they're money suckers. And you end up with people saying, I'm not even going to participate because I can't go down that road. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the money man right here. Sure. I'm going to say, look, um, Avengers vs. X-Men, uh, issue 11. Uh, I don't think the exact numbers for issue 12 have come out yet, but it sold 167,000. So let's say, you know, 167,000 uh, units. That's a $4 a pop. You know, that's roughing out about $700,000 mm-hmm. for an issue of a book. And, you know, we probably, you know, probably, let's say, let's say there's two issues of Avengers vs. X-Men per month. Usually that's what it was. Um, so, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, over a million dollars for one book. One of our books is doing a million dollars. Why should we give up a million dollars a month for books that are not going that would normally sell if it's just avengers it's probably around like 50,000 60,000 then you're talking about and we we ship two a month right so you know we're talking less than half of that money three, let's say three, $300,000 in uh for both issues of avengers uh you know for the month so even if it's only for four months that's still about you know, you're talking six million dollars, let's say, mm-hmm. around there for for the total run of Avengers versus X Men, plus whatever we make on the the hardcover and this edition and that edition. Uh, why do we give up that money to just do solo books? It's the cost to the line in general, as opposed to those books specifically. What you end up with is uh, such interrelated families of titles that if I don't want to buy AVX or any of these things, or I'm locked into it and then give it up because I'm sick of it. I end up with nothing. Mm-hmm. That money disappears entirely. Maybe not to your company, maybe to something else altogether. Uh, it's about the health of the entire line. People are not going to sample your other titles if they're just buying that. There are books that are underperforming magnificently well, if there's such a mixed metaphor, that you'd wonder why isn't Daredevil selling, but why didn't FF sell more than it was selling? Why is that selling 100 when it should be, from artistic reasons, it should be selling more. It's because it's not being sampled because people are buying 14 Avengers, AVX, tie-in, crossovers, whatever. It's about the health of a line, not the event. But they're so locked into the event mentality now. Well, okay. But that, but so, uh, let's just, I'm taking out a brass tax Please. here. Um, even when there's not an event going on, what, what is Fantastic Four selling? Uh, thirty thousand, probably forty thousand. No, it's probably sung more than that, but probably not much more than more, that. More than fifty. Let's say fifty thousand, yeah. just just to be, mm-hmm. just to be, you know, uh, well off there. Um, if it's selling that much, uh, do you do you think that not doing an events those months that we're we're not doing events, we're going to keep selling fifty thousand copies of Fantastic Four because no. you're still leaving money off the table? Then no, I think those are the books with more attention would sell more. Again, we the, into the more the larger business model aspect of it, we've the industry's thrown away hundreds and hundreds of thousands of readers. Okay? Over these sort of gimmicks and and variants and die cuts and events over the last 25 years where you how much did AVX sell? Uh well, issue 11 sold 167,000. Okay. In the before the speculator boom of the 90s, 
the major Marvel books, and we're talking about the, the four top hole, you know, X-Men, Avengers, mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, were selling 350 to 400,000 copies a month. Well, okay, but you're editor-in-chief in 2012. Right. It's, it's I, not before the 90s anymore. We're I want to rebuild industry. that broader audience. Okay. All right. Um, well, we heard from you. We'll come back yep. to you. Steve, editor-in-chief of Marvel, what do you want to do? I am uh, going to take a little bit of a different position Okay, in this, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to represent the children. Okay. That's what I'm going <laughs> to do. Um, my first order of business would be to ask Scotty Young to create a A-Babies versus X-Babies uh, ongoing okay. series. Um, to couple that... I would ask that there be a television show okay. made out of that property, um, preferably done in 15-minute-long episodes, two episodes, uh, uh, I guess, in not issue, but two episodes an episode. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Right. Two segments per Think episode. Think of like Adventure Time, how you have, like, you have two cartoons within a half hour. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, bringing, bringing that kind of thing to the table where you have, like, cartoony antics and just outrageous like there's so many you think of the Muppet Babies how they go on these like imagination journeys and things like that um if you applied some of the really off the wall uh characters and things a lot of the Thor mythology and everything to an A Babies and X Babies cartoon um I think it could be a lot of fun and I think it would be really cool for the the younger kids that are just now uh, getting the idea that comics are in again. Maybe your older brother is into it, and they know a little bit more about it than you do. But you're like you're you're mm-hmm. wanting to get into it. Um, what else would I do? Uh, moving away from that, actually, no, I'll stay on that for a second. Um, more kid friendly books. Okay. Um, DC has the Superman Family Adventures. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a absolutely great read. It's perfect for kids. It's perfect for parents looking to read with their kids. I want to know where that monthly Marvel book is. There's, I can't think of anything mm-hmm. that, I mean, we have our funny books and we have a couple of things that could possibly be for younger readers, but it's a very, it's not clear and distinct enough. There's nothing that says, hey parents or hey kids you can pick this up and it'll be quality it'll mm-hmm. be fun it's not just to make money or just to slap mm-hmm. a character into a book have it be something creative maybe even get like kid input like you had tiny titans which was a lot of fun um you had the the what were they the uh, birds of prey the shorts mm-hmm. with uh batgirl the gotham girls shorts just like little friendly funny things like that i think would be appealing to to younger readers and would kind of you know, broaden the readership a little bit. Well, going back, it's seven, ten years ago or so, and they sort of drifted out here and there. They had Marvel Adventures, mm-hmm. and they did a an anthology book where the leads changed every month. And they did Fantastic Four, and they did Spider Man, done in one stories with the real heroes, with the real villains, real action, not told to five year olds, but told to the eight, ten, fourteen year old crowd, the tweens and just under. They were great there. In more in more cases than not, they were actually better than the real books that were coming out yeah. at that period. Uh, stores didn't stock them. They didn't sell very well. Then on that basis, stores would get two or three copies for the uh, the parent collectors, and the whole line disappeared. You, you still see them. Rob has a whole rack of them. Pick up some of them. You'd be surprised at how 
real they seem. They do not seem like add-on, tacked-on stories. Yeah. They're almost, they seem like they're part of continuity. Okay. Um, also, there's, I'll be like the bad guy again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the artistic side, we want it to be good, obviously. I'm going to talk, you know. Uh, so, make good stuff. Broader appeal, that sounds great. Superman Family Adventure sells about 8,000 copies every issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not going to sustain a book that sells 8,000 copies every issue. You know, when we can, if, if we put Wolverine in anything, it's going to sell at least 20,000, you know? So, um, you know, how can you make a book like Superman Family Adventures, which we all agree is very good, appeal to people? Like, you want, you know, how do you make A Babies versus X Babies a book that people want to buy? You know? I actually have an answer to this. All right, Stephanie, go right ahead. Um, I think it would be good if they actually made them sort of like digests, like little Archie comics, and okay. they actually sold them in grocery stores, oh. like at the cash. Um, that's how I got into Archie comics and consequently, you know, comic comics. <laughs> so, I mean, that sort of stuff is an impulse buy, and it appeals to a child who's waiting for their mother or father to unload a giant cart of groceries. Mm-hmm. They're going to leaf through that and kind of get familiar with their characters. And after like, you know, $200 worth of groceries, when you're like, hey, mom, can I get this book? She's going to be like, yeah, just throw it in. <laughs> I, you know? I agree. So that's a way to get the comics out there more. You don't have to limit them to being at bookstores and, you know, comic book shops. It's a bit of a snobbery thing, I think, on comics part to kind of just limit it to those places. And I think if you kind of made it into more of a digest kind of thing, again, like Archie, and you could put little backup stories like, you know, Josie and the Pussycats was in Archie. Mm-hmm. You can introduce um, kids to other characters and other franchises. And yeah. Hook them early. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm always, I'm always seeing uh, ads lately for Party City and and how like when Halloween was coming around, you saw all the every time you turn the page, you saw these these four kids, Iron Man, Hulk and Thor. And I mean, they were like seven years old, but they were se- they were seven year old kids inside of a book that was clearly meant for a an older audience. Now, I guess that's speaking to the parents mm-hmm. of those kids. But at the same time, like that, I felt like those ads hard barely had a place mm-hmm. in that. Um, if you were going to show that kind of stuff during like the new Spider-Man cartoon, and you were going to have an actual commercial, then yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that they because companies seem to have lost sight of bringing the kids into it. That would be my first order of business is to sit down and have like a roundtable discussion with all of my people and be like, who can we? get who could we put on this that we can bring kids back into the fold because they're go on i i don't think that we're necessarily excluding kids today is my uh well he just turned three it's my three-year-old cousin's birthday and for his birthday all he wanted to do was watch the new spider-man movie Mm -hmm. and it's his favorite thing in the world he put on his spider-man costume and he watched the spider-man movie he's three years old I don't think it's being lost on them. They love it. They love the way that it's being presented to them. There's just not enough of it. Well, that's my point. Mm-hmm. Well, the books don't reflect the movie mentality. I think some of them do. And the little roundtable is a little bit. I think a lot of the problem is not necessarily getting them in front of the kids' eyes. I think the real problem is getting them in front of parents' eyes. You know, if I, if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a mom or a dad, 
Um, and I think not, he'd be a dad. Yeah, probably a dad. He's being, you know. <laughs> inclusive. Yeah, I'm inclusive. Yeah, gender inclusive. Gender inclusive. So, so you know, I don't... Uh, I'm getting a little feedback now. Yeah, I hear it yeah. too. I can hear myself, Stephanie. Uh-oh. All right. I can hear you guys just fine. Okay. No, we're good, good now. To go. It seems like we're good now. Okay, good. Um, so, so, and my kid loves Spider-Man. Spider-Man's his favorite movie. He dresses in Spider-Man costume. And then I go, okay, well, I know there are the, all these comic books. Maybe I read them when I was a kid. Maybe I didn't, but I know they exist because I'm a person in the world. Um, where do I go and get them? You know, there's not very many comic book shops left. You know, the ones that are, like Stephanie said, they can be snotty. I mean, they're not all like mm-hmm. that, but they can be. Um, you know, but again, as if we're the team doing this, those people are also our bread and butter. Like, you know, maybe we're not selling as much as we used to, but we're still selling 167,000 books. Or if you look at DC mm-hmm. selling 135,000 Batman every month, are those people, you know? Yeah. So we don't want to eliminate those people, mm-hmm. but, you know, maybe the answer is, you know, we get people to take more risks on our book. Maybe we start to adopt a model like regular publishing where they can order books and if they don't sell them all, they can send them back to us. Right. You know, I, I don't think, you know, that obviously can be a problem with profit because we're not just selling them outright, you know, but I think the more books that are around, you know, Borders will be a little more likely, or not Borders doesn't exist anymore, Barnes and Noble will be more likely to stock a lot of comic books if they could have the, you know, chance of sending them back and they wouldn't be ghettoized in the magazine section mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think, you know, we get a lot of good sales on uh, trades, you know, trades do very well. Um, they have a great trade section there. They sell a lot of our books. Amazon sells trades like nobody's business. Yeah. But there's no real easy way to go online and, uh, and you know, order comic books in a very user-friendly way. You can go to, like, Midtown Comics' website, and they'll ship them to you. But, you know, you, I, what, I like, like Amazon, what if I want them? Like, if Amazon, I want a game. I, I pre-order a game. It will be at my doorstep the day it comes out. You know, yeah. it should be there the morning it comes out. Yeah. We need a system where people feel comfortable doing that with, our comics you know that way mom and dad don't have to go out to a comic book store they can go on amazon they go they can sit there with their kid on the on their lap looking at the computer and be like oh look spider-man spider-man here's this here's that they show up in the door yeah comicsology but then you have to give something mommy has to or daddy has to give their 500 hundred dollar ipad to their six-year-old son you know and you know (laughs) i i I, you know we don't see that every day anyways right but still maybe you know i don't want like you know peanut butter and jelly smeared all over my $500 mm-hmm. iPad, you know? Um, <laughs> you little bastard. <laughs> and that's a way for me to get them. And it's also a way, you know, for people my age, our age and older to get them because they have access to them. They, they understand the, the the process of buying them. They know to look. They can set up alerts. Um, and also, I and to that to your point about that, Stephanie, is we got to figure out a way to track those sales better and be able to say, hey, look, all these people are buying these books this way, you know, Look how well we're doing in this venue. Well, two things. Definitely the return. Uh, one of the points I wanted to make. In most other media, music's and bo- music and books, you can send back 5 to 10%. Right. That allows you as a retailer to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. and Or in this case, I'm really close to the vest on my regular orders, but there's a new number one coming that I think could be good, but I'm not sure. Right. I can overorder, mm-hmm. and my 10% monthly return will eat up my overorder, but allow a new book to really sing because what ends up happening you order let's say it's 50 copies of a number one you've already 
pre-ordered issue two before you know what one is selling. Mm-hmm. You've already knocked that down to 30 or 20 and you don't right. have any idea that you actually could have sold 100 mm-hmm. before you've made yeah. the mistake. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, one of the things that it, it made and destroyed this business at the same time was the end of newsstand distribution and mm-hmm. the beginning of direct marketing, mm-hmm. which is the no return market. But now books were not seen in candy stores and 7-Elevens and stationery stores and all those sort of things. Well, at the end of the day there, before that model collapsed, in 7-Elevens and places like that, those books came two to three weeks after they were in comic stores. So it protected the comic stores, and in some cases allowed the comic stores to go buy back issues from 7-Eleven. Right. But allowed them exclusivity for the people who were collectors who want to go buy them without barcodes and with little Spider-Men in the corner, but also gave the, the regular public a chance to, while buying a cup of coffee at 7-Eleven in the morning and looking at the newspaper, there were comic books. Mm-hmm that you could then pass along to your kids. Oh, it's an impulse buy. Just Stephanie's talking about with the supermarket thing or toy stores, which I've been on about for years and it's glad somebody else said it, but me finally. <laughs> um, those kind of things, just broadening that marketplace and trying to reestablish it as less of a niche business and more of the general thing that it was previously. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're always talking about continuity and keeping up with stuff and jumping on points. You know, I think part of that problem for us, and it's always been this way in company industry, is that the availability of that jumping on point a couple months out is basically gone. Yes. You have to hunt for it after a couple months. You know, there's got to be a way that we can keep those books, you know, much like you, you know, you, you, you know, the Harry Potter series, they don't get rid of, you know, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone when Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, so you sh- should be able to jump in and dive in to those books and have them readily available. And look, Marvel is not a small company anymore owned by Disney. You know, why can't we have... Marvel stores why can't there be you know you know there's a Disney store there's a Nintendo store there you know there's Sony stores there's Microsoft stores the, the juggernaut we have the one of the best viewed movies of all time the highest gross movies of all time movies a movie that people claimed was too early that was unnecessary mm-hmm. still made over 200 million dollars domestically at the box office mm-hmm. a character sell if we could had a hit stores of our own you know, we could be reaping the benefits, not having to go through middlemen. I'm to, you know, worry about diamond and worry about all this stuff. We can go directly to the people that want to buy our stuff. You know, which is proven. Look at look at Apple. You know, they've proven that if you can go directly to your people and cut out all the the middle sh- shit, you can make more money and you can be universally loved because you're controlling your message from top to bottom. Marvel did try that years ago. They bought Heroes World Distribution and. It- they were undercapitalized and the whole thing fell apart. Right, right now with Disney behind them, I yeah. think that's a great idea. They have the whole publishing arm. Right. You know? But again, why isn't Disney, why isn't Warner Brothers making sure books are in the theaters when you're seeing Spider-Man? Right. There's the, 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 so many lost opportunities mm-hmm. for cross-marketing yeah. that a you store could eliminate. You would think because the Disney store does carry Marvel stuff. Like yeah. They carry all the toys yep. and the merchandise. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't they have the books too? Yeah. I mean, and again, we're still in the you know, relatively business-wise early stages of this Marvel-Disney mm-hmm. partnership, you know? It's like over just over a year, I think, out, you know, from whatever was going on. So you have to kind of give it a little time, but I think that, you know, it's bad to be bought up by a big corporation sometimes, but this allows that model to kind of help. I, I think that having, you know, there, you know, when we have the point one issues that come out, which is a, a good initiative when it works the way it's supposed to, that Spider-Man jump on point one, like I said, is gone. So if you have that, if you have Spider-Man six ninety six, you know eighty seven through seven hundred on the shelf, ready for people to pick up, and you know, it doesn't cost them more. Maybe it costs them less to buy them. You know, months out, you sell more books, you have more people on. You know, those are 
bear sales numbers. Um, Steve, what else? What other ideas do you have for the future of Marvel? Um, I think that the uh, video game department mm-hmm. needs to be retooled. Um, and I'm going to use this comparison. Marvel desperately, desperately needs its Batman Arkham City mm-hmm. really bad. Um, I don't remember. I know that there have been like some great like early 90s and maybe there was I didn't to be fair. I didn't go and look on a list of Marvel games mm-hmm. and be like, oh, well, that was good. That was right. good. But the fact that I don't remember mm-hmm. a game that was, you know, put out by Marvel that I was like, oh, man, have you played, you know, blah, 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 unless it was, you know, Marvel versus Capcom. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I, I attribute that to Capcom. I don't think of Marvel right, when yeah. I think of that. Um, yeah, like where, where's your flagship Spider-Man game? Mm-hmm. It's over 15 years old by now, Yeah, that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the ones, I mean, I know there have been like a decent one here and there, but there was nothing that was like 10 out of 10 game of the year at the G4 thing. Yeah, like there has not been a game where you've you've played it and been like, wow. I mean, everybody's saying like the best game to come along for Marvel in a long time is that Facebook game (laughs) that everyone's playing. And to me, as good as that, I don't play it, but Mm -hmm. as good as people are enjoying it, that's pathetic. Mm -hmm. You know, like there, there needs to be some kind of, uh, I don't know, classic beat 'em up, some kind of adventure game. I mean, you've got things like Skyrim, you have things like Assassin's Creed. How can you not? And they and the problem is, I think, is that every time they try to do that, they think massive multiplayer online. They go too big and they want everybody to be involved, everybody to be their own character. So then you wind up with, you know, 117,000 Deadpools mm-hmm. running around <laughs> in a in a mess of a universe. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Get really great companies. Try to get a really great company. Try to get Bethesda to do a Marvel game with you. Go in, you know, half and half and create some kind of open world, huge mission based Marvel game where you can form a team of four people, four people max. You know, you get or a five if you want to make like the X-Men or something (laughs) like that. Um, and that way on the Xbox Live Network or the PS3 Network, you can hook up with your friends. Um, if you form a super team, it unlocks uh, other abilities and you actually work together. Uh, some missions require you to have other people if you want to play them because you need other abilities to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um now I'm just spouting off video game ideas. But seriously, um, yeah, Marvel Marvel needs a title like that. They really need to. They're missing out on a huge, huge, huge market where their games sell decently because the characters are on the cover, but they walk away with mediocre scores and they're ultimately forgettable. So I think the answer is you got you to gotta move away from doing movie tie-in games. That's why the Batman game is so good. Yeah. Because... the, the the best thing that happened to him was because Christopher Nolan's game and movies do not lend themselves to being video games. So you need to come up, they need to come up with some other Batman thing to do, and they came up with mm-hmm. the Arkham games, and that worked really well. And they got really lucky. Rocksteady was nobody. The developer was nobody before they made that game, and they came up with this amazing, you know, this amazing title. Yep. Um, and that will partly write into the comic book thing, too, because the more people like that stuff, you brought in your audience. Well, well they've lost so many people to the video games themselves. Yeah. You could watch things in action, whether they were true well, heroes or not. think about it. What if they took, like, a big arc? Like, let's just say, for argument's sake, because it's fresh, but the a- AVX, mm-hmm. Avengers versus X-Men, the video game. 
where you they know the story, it's been out, but now they're going to put out a video game that follows the storyline, and the cutscenes have all the major plot points, but you get to play as the characters. You get to participate mm-hmm. in all the different crisis, crises, crises that were going yeah. on. Um, <laughs> barf, barf, barf. Like, yeah, like, you know, the Phoenix is coming, there's all kinds of bad shit going on, mm-hmm. and each level or each stage or different points in the game, you get to participate in these different crises mm-hmm. throughout the game, but it's all laden with the plot of AVX that it all ties in. Hope is a main character. Like, mm-hmm. If you give people the opportunity to control these characters and be an active participant in these arcs, it might even involve them more, and you might sell more trades. Yeah, yeah I doubt that. If I had to lose more time to AVX, <laughs> I'd probably, you know, give up comics entirely. If it was <laughs> just an example. It's just an example. Yeah. I know, I know. But the events in general, like, I don't think I've really ever enjoyed any of their events. So I get what you're saying, and I do think it would be a good idea for there to be interactive, but... Mm. I think it would be cool for them to at least try I think it it would be unwise to tie in the events because then, you know, how the event sums up is also heavily tied into how well the game will do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, Bob, some more points from you about what we can do here. Uh, Well, one of the things I wrote on the business side of the thing is actually more linkage to the internet and the AR content because that is where some business is being lost to. So to me, if you created a fan club mentality with the, with an internet site that was more like the old Marvel, Mary Marvel Marching Society or FOOM or the EC Fanatic Club from the old days, reward your customer loyalty there on the site. They get codes for free books or get free books or get some content nobody else has. And you can also use that, that freebie to start to introduce people to titles and genres they're not having. Because one of the things to me is you really need more variety of titles and genres than we're doing now. Mm-hmm. The indie books, which do tons of science fiction and fantasy and all the things that the co- mainstream comics aren't doing, though DC's Vertigo, some of that. Mm-hmm. But tie things like Vertigo, re, uh, bring back Marvel's epic line and use those as showcase places for new characters, new creators. Try to get people into them. You could, with a linkage to the internet, you can get people, okay, it's 49 cents. It's whatever it costs us to deliver the thing. It's a nickel, whatever. Mm-hmm. So they make something. But get people involved in some of these newer titles that might then find the next big thing down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of other thing about looking at DC with the New Fifty Two, they've they've made stars out of writers who previously were not stars, yeah. right? So they they created stars out of Snyder and Lemire and those guys, people who were indie writers who became indie darlings. Who then they have so much goodwill moving in to to the big time writing mm-hmm. that people are willing to follow them and willing to kind of you know evangelize them in a lot of ways. And you know Marvel. I think Marvel has the advantage. I think Marvel has more good writers from front to back than DC does. You know, mm-hmm. I think you look at their whole slate of people. You know, you know. I mean, Brubaker obviously is moving on, but with Fraction and Hickman and you know that line of people. Uh, you know, Gillen and you know Mark Wade and Mark yeah, Wade and, and you know Bonin and all them. Yeah, yeah. yeah Brian Posehn and uh, Greg Rucka's leaving as well. But this this line of writers that you know are great, but because there's so many. You, you don't necessarily get that same, you know, evangelism for any one of them, you know? Um, and I think that bringing up some of these, you know, uh, indie writers into the ranks of the more, uh, you know, big-time Marvel stuff mm-hmm. is, is smart. You, you look at what, uh, you know, um, 
I mean, DC's trying to do it right now with Justin Jordan, who did the, the, the Luther Strode book, and they're putting him on Team 7 now, and he's going to be doing more as they go along. You know, you find these these well-liked but niche writers and make them a, a big mm-hmm. deal, you know? Uh, I think that there's an opportunity to do that at Marvel as well. Now, another thing, the indie books tend to, it's a smaller but more diverse audience over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some research today. I do. I think, as you talked about young readers, the books need to be more inclusive to women. Okay. Uh, according to some surveys done in U.S., Britain, and Canada, women make up 80% of the fiction-buying reading public, mm-hmm. and yet make up less than 10% of purchases of big two comic books. Right. Though in indie books, it's above 33%, mm-hmm. and some of those titles, because they're more geared to being, well, sort of less insulting, mm-hmm. less... Uh, sorry, Xenoscoped covers, um, <laughs> that sort of stuff. So if if perhaps th- they decide, okay, we may by changing focus a little bit and being a little more inclusive, a little more all age, we may have to risk losing some of the 25 to 35-year-old male audience. And it's not a fox and the grape syndrome. If you lose a few Neanderthals along the way and pick up an entire class of reader that you didn't have before, Mm-hmm. You could end up with, with a different sort of dynamic, more readers, uh, moms who might pass along books to kids, even if they're not moms yet, mm-hmm. understanding why well, there are heroes for everybody here. Uh, just make that more inclusive. I mean, I yeah, think, I totally sorry, agree Stephanie, go ahead. with that. Like, 100%, Bob. 100%. Thank you, Stephanie. And like, Captain Marvel is a perfect example of the Marvel readership being expanded so drastically in such a short period of time. I know people who don't read any other Marvel comics at all, but they've started reading Captain Marvel. At Fan mm-hmm. Expo, I saw like a four-year-old girl dressed up as Captain Marvel wow. with her sister as Miss Marvel. Like, <laughs> it was the greatest thing ever to see little kids who would clearly want to, to like dress up as that character. Their mom made them their costume mm-hmm. because their parents are passionate about that comic, too. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where it's a bleeding effect. Mm-hmm. You know, the parents like it and the parents think this is a strong message for their children. So they're going to introduce their children to it. And there you have new readers. Yes. You have a new generation of readers. Yes. So, I mean, yes, Bob. <laughs> well, so I just quickly, uh, does anyone ever watch Kitchen Nightmares? The, the grand, uh, you know, I mean, I know what it is. I've okay. never watched it. No. You know, Gordon Ramsay goes to restaurants that are failing and they're doing terrible business. Yeah. And they, most of them stick to what they were doing. They'll, they'll put out the same crappy food week after week and month after month mm-hmm. because 14 old people show up to eat really bad food. Right. And they're so petrified mm-hmm. of losing the 14 people they have. They'll never try anything new. They're resistant to change even though it's failing. Mm-hmm. This business, th- this industry isn't failing, but it's it's teetering. Yeah. Uh, there are parts of it that work really well. The, the digital thing's starting to work. The movie thing is starting to work. But the core of the business is now, it almost seems like the add-on to all the other things mm-hmm. that are going Absolutely, on. So yeah. you need to reestablish those and it is with the new generation of readers. Yeah. Um, I mean, Marvel is working towards that woman thing even you know before like we theoretically took it over. Yeah. Obviously, you know, uh, Journey to Mystery is going to be Sif going forward hell yeah which is really cool and the fearless defenders book that got announced that's an all-female team right. what they're kind of calling the marvel birds of prey or whatever nice yeah. um you and know, kelly uh, sue's avengers assemble has a large female contingent of spider woman yeah absolutely front center um so and obviously what you're saying Stephanie, the captain marvel has absolutely expanded you know audience you know obviously our twitter is very focused on comic book people but 
I feel like a lot of the people who weren't talking about Marvel before Captain Marvel um, came out are now talking about it a lot, you know, and people are very much looking forward to it. And I think absolutely that has proven that you can expand an audience in that way. And, you know, it bothered some people to put that title onto her, you know, when it meant something else for a very long time. And I think that a lot of things, I think what the indie scene does prove, however, is that, you know, you don't have to drastically reinvent Spider-Man to bring people into Mm Spider-Man. You can drastically reinvent characters that are important but lesser known and you can really energize, energize an audience base, you know? When you look at something like, you know, Captain Marvel, which is selling around the amount that Daredevil is selling. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, <laughs> you know? That's really impressive. And with all the good press Daredevil's gotten, you know, Daredevil's never been a book that sold gangbusters, but, you know, it's, it's impressive that those books are selling the way that they sell, you know? And we do, we need more of that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I want to talk quickly, I know that, you know, we've talked many times about the amount of Avengers books and the amount of mm-hmm. X-Men books that exist out there. Now, I want to hear... I, uh, Stephanie, uh, let's hear your opinion first on that and what you would do to change that. Um, as far as the over amount of titles, that wasn't any words, whatever. Anyway, yes, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah. There's just like, Bob, you brought this up, but like it, it, it drives me nuts. I don't know which books I want to read because there's just so many of them. I would love there to be just one X-Men, one Spider-Man, one Iron Man, one of each things. Mm-hmm. And to compensate for those titles that, you know, you'd be taking away, start up like, I mean, okay, backtracking a second. I think a lot of these um, side books, Uncanny X-Men, uh, Uncanny Avengers, things like that are started up because they're, are fans that want to see these characters used. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're like, oh, why isn't this character being used? So Marvel's like, let's put a team together yeah. and have all these people that, you know, could be a team. You know, all these people are complaining that these people aren't being used. Ta-da! The Uncanny s- Avengers. The Secret Avengers. The Dark Avengers. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The Pet and, Avengers. Like, to me, a simple solution to this is instead of doing Uncanny Avengers, give a couple of those people their own series that can be equally successful i mean again going back to captain marvel ta-da success and it's just showing that things don't have to stay the same to uh, generate revenue for marvel um there needs to be something like I, i know dc still has like a lot of issues like they have like batman batman the dark knight Batman detective comics, like mm-hmm. a lot of stuff like that. But to me, they're different enough that they can justify it. And it's not a really regular thing among their books to have um, 12 of the same title slightly differentiated. Um, yeah, but Batman's in about half of DC's books. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like it doesn't like it's not Batman Suicide Squad, Batman <laughs> Resurrection Man. Batman, I Vampire. Like it's those books would probably do better if the, the, yeah. as a, they, they were are they are linked <laughs> in in these new events that they're doing. So, yeah, but not completely as of yeah. yet. Yeah, exactly. Like I just feel like there could be a lot of standalone books that would draw mm-hmm. in different crowds if Marvel would take that chance to kind of um, expand their horizons. Well, I'd like to see honestly. Let's say it's two or three Avengers books a month, mm-hmm. and then one bi monthly giant issue that's an anthology mm-hmm. 
for those secondary teams? Because really, are there that many Secret Avengers stories to tell? <laughs> Probably not. Mm-hmm. So tell a 12-page story every other month in a book that you could pick up for $5. And you would say, okay, it's the extra buck, but I'm getting four comic book stories here. Right. I, I will say this, though, coming from a business aspect of it, I, I have to disagree with you a little bit, Stephanie. I mean, Captain Marvel is great, and it's written by a great writer. And something like Hawkeye as well is something else that's beautiful book, well-written, fantastic, um, and it will do well enough in sales to keep it, I think, keep it going. However, like, Uncanny Avengers, like, Havoc is not gonna, is not gonna support his own book. You know? He's not, it's, there's, a book called Havoc is going to get canceled, unless it's the most amazing thing in the entire world. And even if it is, it could get canceled. I mean, you talk about Spider-Girl getting canceled so many times, yes. you know? <clears throat> I will say this. I, I think that there's an aspect is that we don't really ever talk about. Yes, don't be. I agree with you. There's a lot of X, too many X Men books. Do we need? To, there's gonna be two X Force books once this Marvel Now thing is done. Do we need that? I don't know. I will say this though. If you cancel, you know, if you cancel Avengers Arena and uh, Cable and X Force, then Dennis Hopeless, who's writing both those books, he doesn't have a job. You know, he's not writing anymore. So, you, you know, there, you know, obviously we can talk as fans being like, we want less books, but talking as people who are running a company, you're taking well, away somebody's livelihood if you, if you take away their book. I don't know that I want less books. I want mm. more diversity okay. in the books. Yeah. Uh, I, again, I think if you lock people into their, their spending dollars, which, mm-hmm. is, which, are, which are tight for all of us, yeah. into to get the complete Avengers feel for a month, I have to buy nine Avengers books. Mm-hmm. Some of them are unnecessary, but you, you, you get trapped into, I need to see what's going on because it could be linked next month or next week and I don't know what's going to happen. If you created a, uh, look, Stan's books were all linked together. Everyone appeared in every other's, everyone else's books, but there was one FF and one Avengers and one Iron Man. And those B characters all had their moments to shine in their own books and all had moments as a team in the Avengers. Mm-hmm. The solo books, I think, are, are, are falling behind. Daredevil should sell more. I'm sure Thor didn't sell what it should have, or Iron Man didn't sell mm-hmm. what it should have. People are buying all these Avengers books. And if, as people who read AVX got sick of what was going on and decide, I don't want to read Avengers or X-Men anymore, I haven't been reading the other characters, I'm not going to pick anything up. Pare it down enough that these characters can have their solo books. There should have been a Hawkeye. There should be a Spider-Woman book. Mm-hmm. Put those books out and let them sell more books less sales for each end up with the same dollar value at the end of the day i got you i think like a lot of the time too they put really shitty creative teams on what should be a really great book Mm -hmm. and you wind up hating it and again i hate to keep bringing this up but catwoman yes there i i would buy the shit out of that book like every month i would buy like 12 copies of it give it out for christmas but guess what it fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to buy it. Obviously, like, my money's not there. And I know lots of other people who feel this way, too. And the same thing goes for Marvel. You can create a character or, like, a story for a character and be like, this is going to be an ongoing series. But if you put a shitty creative team on it, there's no, like, there's no saving it. It's a lost cause right off the bat. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. Bad books should not be keep going i'm not not, that's not what i meant you know no 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 no. i'm not saying that's what you mean i'm just that was just my own yeah side point i wasn't being contradictory i'm just saying (laughs) that you know these books need to kind of i think have a little more thought that goes into the creative process Mm -hmm. and maybe um i don't know if they do this maybe they do maybe they don't but i think maybe it would be good um if comic books could start doing something like 
um, consumer testing, um, like what they do with movies and TV shows mm-hmm. where they like test out characters on markets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be good to bring in like, you know, a variety of people and test out these characters and these stories before they get put out to the public to see how they're received. Mm-hmm. That way you're not, you know, dumping mm-hmm. all this money into a story that may or may not suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have a sidebar to that too. Uh, DC does it with DC Presents, mm-hmm. where you get a one-off thing, Rose and Thorn, which was so good, Phantom Stranger, not so much, <laughs> I guess. But Marvel should have their own version, call it Marvel Universe or something. Mm-hmm. Put, put, put good creative teams, don't have to be inventory stories that have sat in the drawer for years and just right. voice something out on the public and go buy this for $4. Someone you wanted to see down the future. DC did it with Showcase and Brave and Bold years ago. It's where Flash first reappeared, mm-hmm. or the Justice League. Put them out there. Let people decide with they. They'll buy this if they buy the second issue in greater numbers than the first in a two-issue little run. Yeah. Oh, we'll okay. We'll move mm-hmm. forward three months from now and try that out, and then you'll get to see who these new characters could be. And it's a cheaper way to do it. But your way, Stephanie, is kind of interesting. Sit everyone in a room and, you know, yeah. give them the electric shocks if they don't like things. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the DC Universe Presents, you know, obviously they have the National Comics things and they have the DC Universe Presents. The Dead Man arc, the first arc was fantastic. Mm-hmm. That didn't lead to Dead Man being in, you know, his own book, but you get a taste of Dead Man. But again, you know, to talk about stuff like that, like Justice League Dark exists because, you know, I'm DC's probably pretty sure that Zatanna, you know, Dead Man, you know, you know, Doctor Mist. You know these mm-hmm. people can't can't keep their own book going, but people love those characters. People love Dead Man. You know, people love Zatanna. They want to see these people in books. You know, so I think it, I think that it's easy when books are bad to say get rid of this book. But what if you know maybe Cable and X Force seems completely useless to us? What if it's fantastic? You know, what if it's what if it? You know, I'm not Cable. I'm not a big Cable fan. But what if it's everything that a Cable book should be? You know, more power to them and keep it going. But, right. but that's what I mean. What part of it's like this? The thing that they say in science, where you know, there's no useless experiments. You know, you mm-hmm. you never know what you're gonna get when you're doing research. There's there's no pointless research. We might be researching, you know, how to go to the moon and discover a cure for this disease or Velcro. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so, you know, Uncanny Avengers might end up turning into this epic, great story that goes on. And right now, it seems like a cash in, or it seems like an eat. Like, oh, we just want to put Wolverine in another book. You know, we want to put Captain America in another book. We want to, you know, whatever, whatever. But what if it turns out to be great? So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there are chances for books that are seemingly very potentially um, commercially viable to be also artistically great, you know? Mm-hmm. It does happen. But then conversely, there are books that may be very artistically meritorious that don't sell well. Absolutely, yes. Uh, absolutely. You know, Stan kept uh, Silver Surfer going Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't sell at all, but he loved it. He believed, and he was going to keep doing yeah. it. Yeah. They they frankly kept Spider Girl growing for years mm-hmm. to a fervent audience for the thing. But it was just no. We know we're doing quality work. It'll find an audience, and it just didn't. It got buried under too many Spider books and right. too many X books and too many Avengers books. Mm-hmm. Where if that came out in a different marketplace mm-hmm. with uh, certainly more exposure in stores to moms and little girls mm-hmm. in different venues, maybe make a game, maybe make a cartoon, all the things we've been talking about. If you that kind of Marvel Comics company yeah. might do better by these smaller titles rather than mm-hmm. just focus on those bigger events. Absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. Steve, you got any more points you want to run out of? Yeah, here? just one more. Okay. Um, 
just maybe a strategy that they could go with as far as Both introducing new things. Well, it's like, I mean, I used it as an example before, but the A babies versus X babies, that comic was as from what I could understand from the internet reaction was really big. It was like it people, was well people really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a Marvel universe presents or something like that. Maybe, focus a little bit more on one shots or Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. small arcs that if you're not so sure, don't make everything an ongoing, you know, that maybe if you think there's a character that could make it come out with a two, with a two issue or three issue arc. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of miss those, Mm -hmm. you know, you go into the the back issue bins and you find things like Dr. Strange and they're written by great people. It's four or five issues and it's, you know, it's probably collected in a trade somewhere, but like, you can get a taste for the character, and if you like it, you have a good story. If not, you move on. Mm-hmm. That they don't, it's it's a risk that you kind of have to take. That, But the thing is, is that if you do it like that, you're not investing so much of the creator's time, uh, the money it takes to publish the books, the planning, uh, taking people off of projects where they could be moving on to something else. Give people a taste. Look at the figures. Look at the numbers. And if there's a there's a calling for it, renegotiate mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and make a plan for you know within the next six months to a year to bring it back. Say so you people really liked this. We're gonna make a plan to do yeah. it. We're gonna we're gonna figure out what yeah. needs to be done. Right. Another mini or an ongoing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just something. Something that like if you. Just not don't take the dive and don't make the commitment of having it something that could become like a laborious thing. Like just give people a a short little, you know, a a six pack of of something instead Mm -hmm. of giving them the entire cask. And and, and it it gives your it gives your audience more variety. You know, Campbell's Soup doesn't just make tomato, chicken and beef. They have 47 kinds of soup. And it seems like, you know, Marvel's put all their soup into three or four cans. (laughs) Soup analogies. Soup yeah, analogies are great. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, Stephanie, any closing points for us? Um, I don't think so. I think we kind of covered most of my ranty things that, you know, were ranty. Yeah. <laughs> um, do better stuff, Marvel. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, Bob, what about you? No, I think I ranted enough for one <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> um, all right, so I think the discussion went very, very well. Yes. Um, we should all be hired tomorrow. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I have some listeners. Copyright. Copyright all ideas, Marvel. We want royalty <laughs> yeah. checks. Absolutely. Um, I want to run over one. We don't have a lot of time for emails, but I want to run over one real quick. Uh, Samuel Moon emailed us about the lock and key thing. Okay. And, uh, you know, we asked for reactions whether they thought that it could um, be a PG-13 movie, you know. Um, Wait, what, what? What? They they meant they announced a lock and key movie trilogy. What? When did that happen? Um, this past <laughs> la- last week. And, uh, I could explain it. They are, uh, except for, uh, you know, Kurtzman, uh, Kurtzman and Orsi are exit producing. Uh, the guys who created Fringe, who wrote the new Star Trek movie, blah, 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 whatever. You know, J.J. Abrams collaborators. You can hear Stephanie, like, hyperventilating. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. What? Fringy? Yeah, um, so they announced, but they announced it's most likely going to be PG 13. Um, and we were discussing last week about it because none of us have really read that much. Steve read the one one off issue, mm-hmm. but the rest of us have not read any of it. Um, Stephanie, I know you have read it, correct? Have. I've read the first two volumes. Right. I haven't read after that, but I've read a bit of it. So before we get to Samuel Moons, real quick, do you think it could work as a PG thirteen? Uh yeah, I definitely think so. Um, there's a lot of really dark stuff in it, but um, it was going to be a TV series, kind of. A la American Horror Story for like FX, mm-hmm. 
And I mean, obviously it would have had to be like PG-13 for that. So, um, and the trailer for that looked amazing. Um, it never got picked up again, obviously, but, uh, it could definitely work. Uh, there'd be a lot of, I think, hinting at some stuff and it Mm -hmm. wouldn't be obviously as gory and all that as some of the comic is, but, um, I'm excited for this. So, um, Samuel mentioned, uh, over what you said, Steve, okay. Steve mentioned that he had only read one issue and based on his description, it sounds like he read Lock and Key Grindhouse, which is a one shot that has nothing to do with the main plot. It's a really great issue and it's quite violent and bloody, but not completely representative of the series as a whole. Okay. There you go. Although it does show how this universe can be expanded upon indefinitely. You were discussing whether Lock and Key could work as a PG-13 movie and I think it could. There's plenty of violence and a generally dark elements in the book, but there is no sex, little to no cursing and then more blood and guts is really like a twisted Narnia story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not seen the pilot, uh, God, how I want to, but from the response it's got, it got from fans, I'm glad that Kurtzman and Ortsy are still behind the project. They championed the pilot, and now they can bring it to the big screen. I'm not surprised that they decided to go the feature route. There's more money to be made in three major motion pictures and a couple seasons of a television show. That sounds more cynical than I mean it to sound. In conclusion, Lock and Key is amazing, and I cannot wait to see my favorite characters brought to life. Maybe we'll come out in 2015 with Avengers 2, Justice League, Star Wars Episode 7, and all the other geek-tastic cinema already scheduled. Sinister Narnia. I like it. <laughs> I like that description. <laughs> Although you didn't use the word sinister, I just no. substituted it. Yeah, you just used your own word. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> It's been, uh, it's been a while but, since we've gotten that yeah. word. That would be great. Yeah. Um, so I want to mention that email. We had a couple of their emails, but uh, Steve has an appointment to get to. So I want to make I sure. I do. That and we... I'm hungry. So if I don't eat at least something <laughs> before I go into my appointment, I will eat the other patients. So all we have to do is um, to prevent Steve's zombieism. We just have to finish the what's coming out today, and then we will uh, get out of here. So um, from Boom Studios, we have. Uh, Okay, so we have uh, Adventure Time, Marceline and the Scream Queens, number five. Yeah. We have Extermination, number six. Fanboys vs. Zombies, number eight. Um, from Dark Horse, we have Billy the Kid's Old-Timey Oddities and the Orm of Loch Ness, number two. Uh, Is that a Star Wars title? It's got the words in it. We have Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season nine, number 15. We have Conan the Barbarian, number 10. Creep, number three of four. Yay. Um, Dragon Age, Those Who Speak, number three of three. X Sanguine, number two of five. We have Massive, number six. Yay. We have Michael Avon Omings, The Victories, number four of five. Uh, Mind Management, number zero. One Sweet. shot. Um, Star Wars Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral, number four. <laughs> there we go. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> and Tarzan, the once and future Tarzan, one shot. Um, from DC Comics, we have M.A. Kami Girls, number two, featuring Batgirl. We have Batgirl number 14. Yeah. We have Batman number 14. Yeah. Batman and Robin number 14. Yeah. Um, Batman Arkham City Endgame number one. Meh. It's a one shot. We have Batman Arkham Unhinged number eight. We have Catwoman. Oh, sorry. That's a reprint. Um, we have Deathstroke number 14. Demon Ugh. Knights number 14. Uh, Fables Werewolves of the Heartland hardcover. We have Frankenstein Agent of Shade number 14. Yeah. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo volume one hardcover. Uh, Green Lantern mm-hmm. Core number 14. We have um, Grifter number 14. We have, uh, oh, sorry, there's a lot of statues. Justice Legion <laughs> Laws number 14. Phantom Stranger number two. Punk Rock Jesus number five of six. Yay. Ravagers number six. Saucer Country number nine. We have Suicide Squad number 14. Superboy number 14. Team Seven number two. 
Um, that's it from DC. From Dynamite, we have Boys number 72, which is the final issue. That cover is amazing. Oh, is it? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, Damsels number three. Uh, Dark Shadows, Vampirella, number four or five. Evil Ernie, number two. Uh, Jennifer Blood, First Blood, number two. Lord of the Jungle, number nine. Uh, Red Sonia, number 71. Vampirella, The Red Room, number four. And Witchblade, Demon Reborn, number four. Oh, dynamite. I never buy anything <laughs> from you. <laughs> um, from IDW, we have Borderlands Origin, number one of four. Yeah. Chasing the Dead, number one of four. Uh, Classic Popeye, number four. G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, number 184. Um, we have Lock and Key Omega, number one of seven. Yeah. We have uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, Doctor Who Assimilation Squared, number seven of eight. <laughs> we have Zosser of Zilk, number two. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but first issue was so awesome. Uh, from Image Comics, we have Elephant Men, number forty-four. Great Pacific, number one. Uh, the Grim Leaper trade paperback. We have that was awesome slash, by the way. Uh, Grim Leaper. Yes, very good. Mm. Hack Slash, number 20. Hoax Hunters, number 5. Invincible, number 97. Peter Panzerfaust, number 7. Point of Impact, number 2 of 4. Uh, the Rock Bottom Hardcover. Saga, number 7. Yes. Uh, we have Spawn, 20th Anniversary. Oh, that's a poster. Never mind. Thief mm. of Thieves, number 10. Think Tank, number 4. Walking Dead, number 104. And Where is Jake Ellis, number 1 of 5. Um, from Marvel mm. Comics. Big Oof. week for Marvel. Uh for our Marvel comics. Yes. Uh, we have uh, All New X-Men number one. We have Amazing Spider-Man number 697. We have Avengers Assemble number nine, mm-hmm. which is Kelly Sue Connick's first issue on that. Yeah. We have, um, uh, where we go? Here we go. Oh, Fantastic Four number one. Pardon me while I get over Clint. <laughs> uh, we have First X-Men number four, Gambit number five, um, Marvel Universe vs. the Avengers number two of four. New Avengers, number 33. Um, Red She-Hulk, number 59. Jesus. Try uh, one more. Uh, Thor, God of Thunder, number one. Yeah. Uh, Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates, number 18. Venom, number 27. Uh, Wolverine, the X-Men, number 20. X-Men Legacy, number one. Oh. And Extreme X-Men, number six. Uh-huh. Uh, and from Valiant, we have Bloodshot, number five. Archer and Armstrong, number four. And from Zenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales, Myths and Legends, number 23. Grim Fairy Tales presents Bad Girls, number 4. Grim Fairy Tales presents Wonderland, number <laughs> 5. And Mankind, The Story of Us All, volume 1, trade paperback. That's a re-solicitation. All right. Yay. So those are the releases that are on the shelves right now. Um, I want to know what you guys thought about our discussion about what can make Marvel better. So email us, info at talkingcomicbooks.com, at talkingcomicbooks on Twitter, and facebook.com slash Talking Comics. Um, the website's obviously TalkingComicBooks.com. Reviews, articles uh, from us, all our contributors. Uh, and look for some horror-related content this week because we are catching up from uh, mm. the week that we missed. Bob wrote a couple great stories, so those will definitely be oh, up. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, our personal Twitters. I am at Bobby Shortle. Steve? Uh, I am at Dead underscore Anchorus. Uh, Stephanie? I'm Hello Cookie. And Bob Email. Uh, Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right. So, yeah, those are the places to get in touch with us. Um, if you want to talk about what we talk about in the show or anything else, uh, let us know. But I think that's pretty much it uh, for this week. So, for Steve. Bagels. Bob. Good evening. And Stephanie. Why are we yelling food? <laughs> <laughs> I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. Continued.